Friendship is born at the moment when one person says to another, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. That's C.S. Lewis. Friendships, yes, every one of us needs those. In fact, the solution to the problem of loneliness is friendship, not isolation. We as human beings both need and crave friendships. We all want someone who will rejoice with us or cry with us when we're going through some pain and agony. Someone who will comfort us when we're faced with hardships of life. To better understand friendship, though, we must look at two levels of friendship. We're going to be looking at the two levels. Number one, vertical, and number two, the horizontal. Number one, uh, the vertical. Exodus chapter 33, we're going to be reading verses 7 through 11. Exodus 33, verses 7 through 11. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was, whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, that all the people rose, and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass, when Moses entered the tabernacle, that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped, each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend, and he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. In order for us to understand what friendship is really about, we must have a relationship with God first. Because God himself defines friendship for us if we're followers of Christ. If we don't have a relationship with God, how can we expect to understand what he says about friendship? It would be impossible to do so. If we expect to have any lasting friendships as Christians, we must first make sure that God is at the center of that friendship. If you skip that step, if I skip that step, we lose out on the greatest friendships we could have. In fact, if you were to look throughout Scripture and see the friendships that people built, one that really sticks up and it really kind of comes to mind, I know we've been reading it in our Bible reading lately, is Jonathan and David. That friendship was a close relationship with one another. And at the center of that relationship was God himself. Both of those men honored God. Both of those men cared for the things of God. In fact, Jonathan, when his father was out to kill his best friend David, he warned him. Many times warned him of the things that might be coming. And one of the things that friends do, particularly if they're God-fearing friends, they will warn us of the things that God would want us to know about. You see, Moses, here in this text, had this unique friendship with God. In fact, the text says that he spoke as it was face-to-face -face with God. Now, what's tricky about this, this phrase and statement is, if you look further down, you'll see that it's really a, a, an expression of how close Moses was to God. Because essentially, later down in the chapter, it says that Moses can't really see God's face. We're going to look at that here in a moment. The verse itself gives indication to the closeness of the relationship Moses had with God. Let me pause for a moment and ask you a question. If someone was to describe your life, if someone was to describe my life, 
Would it ever occur to them to describe your life or my life as being a friend of God? I want you to pause for a moment and think about that. Brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, they're a friend of God. It doesn't even register for many of us, right? It isn't even something that we normally think about. But yet this is a title that we see when it comes to Moses. And we also see that later on with Abraham. Moses didn't literally get to see the face of God, but he did have a close relationship where God revealed himself to him. When you read further down in the text, in chapter 33, you see that Moses is asking for something specific. And this is really in reference to what we're talking about. He asks for God's presence to go with them and to see Yahweh's glory. Starting in verse 19, listen to what is said here. This is God speaking to Moses. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Here's an important truth that many people miss when they see this text. What people don't realize is Moses cared more about the presence of God than anything else. Moses says, God, if you don't go, I don't want to do this. I don't want to take these people anywhere if your presence is not with us. How many of us do ministry with a desire for God's presence like that? Saying, you know what, God, I know the steps to take in this because I've done this for so many years but remembering that if you don't have God's presence, that ministry essentially is worthless. It is not going to produce the fruit that God would want. It's a very striking statement because many in ministry, myself included, we do things periodically without desiring the presence of God. I just want to encourage you, I don't know if you've ever listened to the song, Show Me Your Glory by Third Day, an excellent song really to kind of relate this truth. Moses didn't want to live without God's presence. That's the kind of friendship he had. How many friendships do you and I have where we want to see our friend day in and day out? I don't know about you, but even the best of my friends I probably don't want to see day in and day out. Moses wanted God's presence daily. Moses wanted to know God at that level to where God was very close to him. Is that what you and I desire? Do you and I desire for God to be close to us? You see, unfortunately, we want a closeness with people many times that we don't even desire from God himself. When you're lacking in a lot of areas in your life, why is it that we turn to people for what only God can give many times? Do you realize that God who is triune. One of the greatest gifts that he's given us is the Comforter, capital C, the Holy Spirit. 
and we neglect how important that is? Do you know how we can comfort those who need comfort? When the Holy Spirit comforts us as we ought to. Which is why the greatest comfort you will find is in the Word of God itself. Which is why when we read the Psalms and we read the man after God's own heart, that's a friendship right there. That's a person that understands heart, God's, God's heartbeat, if you will. David personally understands that. Moses here understands that. We find throughout Scripture that others like Abraham had a close relationship with God to the point of a close friend. In fact, in James chapter 2, verses 21 through 23, it says this, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see, Abraham was to step out in faith by doing the good work of offering his son in sacrifice in accordance to the promise of God that was given that a seed would be blessed. Abraham stepped out in faith, believing that God had promised him a seed that would be plentiful later on, that would literally be as the sand on the seashore. And God told him, sacrifice that son. When it seems completely crazy to do so, doesn't it? Why would God ask him to do something that essentially was a fulfillment of his own promise to him. Because we see in another text that Abraham believed that God was going to raise him from the dead if that even took place. Because God promised and Abraham believed his friend. I want you and I to really feel the gravity sometimes because I think many times we see God through one lens and many, not, many times without a balance of others. Some Christians see God through a lens of judge, and He is. Some see God through a lens of friend and refuse to see the judge. Some Christians see God through a lens of father. Some see Him through the lens of son. Some emphasize only the Holy Spirit. And every single one of those are to be in balance for all of us. So one thing I do want to warn all of us to not do, and we tend to do this with our own Christian faith, is we like to emphasize the attributes of God and the qualities of God and the characters of God, characteristics of God, to the ones that we prefer. And, and I tend to find that many of us that are pharisaical in nature, we love the judge God version. Right? Like we love the God that comes down with justice to people that do wrong. Those of us that are kind of lax in our Christian life, we love the God that really is like, Jesus is my friend. He's fine with everything I'm doing. And that is not what we're referring to here. 
You and I need a balance in our theology. You need to see God for who He is in every area of your life. And understand that He is both King and Savior. He is both friend and judge. He is both just and merciful. And if your picture is incomplete, it's because you and I don't get our theology from Scripture, but based on some message we've heard along the way, and we just paint God in that light. If you want to see who God is, read all of Scripture, not just portions you and I enjoy. Read from beginning to end. Which is why one of my favorite things is when you have this rendition of Jesus as if he's some 1960s hippie, I ask them if they've read the book of Revelation. Jesus isn't coming back with a peace symbol. He's not. He's coming to wage war. And he's coming back to take what's his. The truth is, I don't know if we have an understanding that we might not actually ever have exactly the same privileges that Moses has, but we have the privilege to come to God in prayer and to read for ourselves what he himself has said. I don't know that we take it as precious as we should when we open the Word of God. We can talk to God any time of the day. What a privilege. What a privilege. Do you have any friends like that? Any time of the day, you can talk to them. Name me one. Any time of the day. It'll go to their voice bill before you get a hold of them. That text will come back ten minutes later. Probably earliest sometimes. Or it'll be on silent and they won't get back to you until tomorrow morning. Is that not the case sometimes? God, you and I can talk to any time of the day. Any time at night. What a friend. What a friend. Our relationship with God must be right before our relationship with others will be. A lot of us get it backwards. In fact, when you talk about the two great commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, everybody likes to jump to the second one and talk about how it's important to love your neighbor as yourself. They bypass the first one entirely without realizing whether they're really following that one or not. The first one's first for a reason. It's the priority. You've got to get that right first. Most of us want to work on relationships with others before we worked on our relationship with God first. And we're waiting for God to change everybody else around us instead of us. And when God points out the flaws in our own heart, oh, God, I want you to deal with them. They need to do it. They need to fix that. And God's asking us where our heart is with him. Just as we've read recently in the book of Lamentations, it's all about returning to him first. In fact, Proverbs 16, 7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, here's a striking verse, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. What a stunning text. You mean to tell me that if God is a priority, many times the very people that are opposed to us, God works those things out? According to that text, that's exactly the case. It doesn't mean hardships don't come. We obviously understand that that's a proverbial truth. But many times Christians have enemies simply because they're fighting battles they shouldn't be fighting. 
Look, there are certain fights that are worth taking. Some that aren't. If you're spending three hours on Facebook thinking you're going to change the world, that might not be the best use of your time. So we've looked at the vertical relationship. The second one is horizontal. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. We're going to look at that here in a moment. You see, the truth is we need friendships with people that truly mean something. Not just friendships that are there because we can still get something out of them. In fact, Proverbs 18.24 says, A man who has friends must show himself to be friendly. Must himself be friendly. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You see, the truth is we have to work on our friendships. They don't just happen automatically. They don't just work out by themselves. We seem to get the sense that if they're my friend, that there should be no problems in this relationship. And I dare say the best friendships are the ones that have contention and they knew how to work them out. Not the ones that were problem-free, we don't talk about certain things. Because that friendship is not based on reality. True friendship is not a one-sided deal. Many people are looking for friends who will listen to their problems, meet their needs, be sympathetic, and be that friend to them. Unfortunately, these people, and I know I'm included in this, we're looking many times for our selfish friendship. They only look for what they can receive from the other person. You see, true friendship is like God's grace. His unmerited favor to someone by wanting to meet their need to help them, to be a comfort to them. Let me, let me ask you something. When you think of your friendship with others, is your first priority, how am I a good friend to them? Or is your first priority, how are they a friend to me? What do you start with? I mean, analyze the friendships you have with people. Do you start with the premise, how are they doing when it comes to me? Or do you start with the premise, how am I as a friend to them? As I mentioned before, if our relationship with God isn't right, the relationship with others won't be right either. Now here's what's interesting, and this is true as well. The opposite is also true. Did you know that? If your relationship with others is not right, your relationship with God is not right either. How do we know that? Well, in Matthew 5, 23 through 24, here's what it says. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Here's what I think is incredible, and, and, and I don't think a lot of us are honest enough about this. We as Christians, disciples of Jesus, we want to do something great for God many times, right? We want to do these amazing, incredible ventures for the Lord. And the very simple things like making up with our family, friends, and people around us, we're like, eh, I'm not going to do that. God, I want to do the big things. 
make it right with that person. Really? You want me to do that? But I want to serve you in these wonderful ways. God doesn't care until we get that one thing right first. I know it's going to shock us sometimes. But we want to do the grand things for God without caring for God's heart when it comes to our relationships with others. We're willing to offer him our service, our loyalty, our commitment to give regularly to him. But little do we realize God isn't pleased with that. He first wants us to make things right with those we've hurt. You ever found somebody trying to do something nice for you to make up for what ill they've caused recently? You ever had that happen in your life? Like you had an eruption in a relationship with somebody, may not have been a close friend, but in order for that person to not directly apologize, they did something nice to try to make up for it. Anybody do that? Everybody see it? Maybe you've done it. Maybe I've done it. Instead of going back and owning what was done, we bypassed that entirely by just pretending it didn't happen and we did something nice for them. That's not seeking restoration. And unfortunately, what a lot of Christians do with their conscience, when God is piercing them and telling them, you need to confront this with you and another brother or sister, we try to numb our conscience by doing something different for God. Well, I'm just going to give a couple extra bucks in the plate. That'll make God pleased with me. I'm going to go do something for somebody else. My kind deed for someone behind Starbucks line. There we go. I'll do it. I'll pay for their coffee. As if that's something that God's looking for when there's a glaring issue that we're not willing to deal with. There's a sin against a brother or sister. We're just, we're not willing to go there. That's too much. It's definitely not easy, is it? We like doing the easy things for God. It's not easy to go up to someone that you've hurt and ask them to forgive you. But that's what God is looking for many times. He's looking for us to make things right with our brother before we offer him something. It really strikes me to the core when I think of this. How many times have I done something for God out of a response to ease my own conscience rather than dealing with this properly? and taking care of the first things first. So many of us focus on how others have hurt us without realizing how much we may have actually hurt them. Now, to understand what friendship is all about, we must first see what friendship is not. I don't know if you've ever done a paper like this in school. What does this word mean? What it does not mean, what it does mean. I think it's important to do both. Because what ends up happening is we have this inclination many times to self-deception that we believe we know what a good friend is because I'm a good friend. So today we're going to look at what is not a good friend and also what is a good friend from Scripture. Okay? Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 gives insight on what kind of traits are not to be found in a friend. In fact, it says this, these six things the Lord hates. So I would venture to say it's probably a good thing not to be one of these qualities, okay? 
If it says the Lord hates them, I think it's a safe bet that it's probably not a good friend. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. So characteristics of people who are not good friends and who will hurt us. First one, proud. God very clearly states that we should stay away from people that are proud. These people are the ones that come across as being the major winners in life while the rest of us are losers. They're for themselves. They think they're the ones that are important. And they don't need us, we need them. Friendships like that are never going to go well. If anybody's kind of trying to hold on, have you hold on to them and they act as if you're not, you're not really needed in their life, well, there's a quality right there you need to look into. Proud. They seem to think they have all the answers and we don't. Second qualifier, liars. I should go without saying. Friend lies to you, they're not a good friend. Shouldn't take a lot of, hey, let me, let me parse the word lying. Let me look up the Greek and Hebrew definition. How will I know if this is good or bad? It's pretty clear cut. God hates it. There are people who all they do is go around flattering others and they don't care to be honest. Proverbs 29.5 tells us that a person who flatters his neighbor is spreading a nut into which they will either fall in or both of them will. There are times when we need to be told the truth about a situation or a decision we've made. But how can you trust the honest truth of this person if this person just tells you all the time, oh, everything's going to be okay. It'll work out just fine. Don't worry about it. You're fine. Some of the greatest friends in my life have been the ones that have told me the truth where everybody else said I was fine. Another qualifier is those that hurt others. Now, hands that shed innocent blood, I mean, I highly doubt most of us are going to have relationships with a murderer automatically, right? But the idea here goes a little further. It's people that intentionally and willfully hurt others. Any person that takes advantage of a hurting person is guilty of what is described here as shedding innocent blood. In fact, there's a statement in the New Testament, if you hate your brother, you're guilty of what? Murder. It's the heart behind those kind of people. What I'm trying to say here is stay away from people who look to put others down by using them or manipulating them for their own good. You play around with one of these people, you will eventually be the one shedding innocent blood yourself. I always have a picture in my mind when I kind of work through this text of a child at a school 
who really doesn't know better about the friendships that they're forming. And they have that one bully, instead of being bullied by them, they'd prefer to jump on their team and bully someone else. Unfortunately, that scenario plays out even when we become adults. That's not a good friend. Another qualifier is longing for wickedness. This is a qualifier for a bad friendship. These are people who just love to run to what is known as evil and wrong. They're the person that will encourage you to do things nobody else of faith would encourage you to do. These people plan things that no one else will notice. They try to leave the scene before they get caught in the sinful act themselves. These are the people that will ask you to be the lookout while they commit some sin themselves. God wants us to stay away from people like this. And I know a lot of us as parents, we tend to warn our kids about people like this. We're not honest enough about the fact that as adults, we can form friendships like this too. That we may have that friend that we think they're not really influencing us that way, but they are. There are a lot of things that God wants us to stay away from, but that we're willing to tolerate based on the friendships we have. Eventually, if we stay around these people long enough, our heart becomes very dirty with sin, and our actions eventually bring out what's in our heart. These people are the ones who cut corners of what God would want. They don't take the long and hard road sometimes for the results that God would have. Here's another one, and it's a little different than those that lie. It's those that repeat stories. The false witness that spread lies. The Bible tells us to stay away from people that are gossipers. Proverbs 4.23 tells us to guard our hearts. You are not just to open to anyone. should go without saying, but friends that our gossipers are not good friends. In fact, a gossiper's motto is anything you say can and will be used against you. Boy, have we all been burned by that one. We need to guard our hearts from people that speak negatively of others, who gossip about others with no inclination to actually try to help them. There's a tension here because sometimes things need to be discussed to be taken care of in a church context, to be addressed in a church discipline context at times. But if the goal is not restoration, but relatively just being a false witness, spreading lies, spreading a bunch of stuff that's over the top beyond what actually occurred, then that's a danger to the church. Not just that, but gossip is actually one of the most difficult sins to not join in, is it not? I mean, you have reality shows for that reason, right? 
You remember what happened last week? Did you see that on that show? I don't even know how people keep, you know, keep up with the Kardashians. It's ridiculous. I find that obnoxious and annoying. But that's our world. Gossip is juicy. Everybody loves it. I'm sure we all know things about others that are better left unsaid. There are things, and I want to I pause for a moment and make a statement here, and I probably haven't said this before. There are things that people will share with you and me that we don't have to share with our spouse. You're under no obligation to share those things with your spouse every time. Because sometimes those very things can cause more damage, particularly if they connect with other relationships in the church. When we gossip, we're likely to say something that we shouldn't have said, and we become guilty of the behavior that God hates. Here's another quality of a person that's not a good friend. They bring conflict. You have a contentious relationship with somebody, should give you a lot to stop and think about. If that's a good relationship, if that's a good friendship. God clearly states that he hates when a person causes trouble in the family, sows discord among brethren. This is someone who tries to stir up anger or hurt feelings between friends, church members, family members, co-workers, you name it. This person will try to get you to sympathize with their distorted point of view, so you'll get angry at the other person as well. I gotta tell you personally, it's one of the hardest ones for me as a pastor. When something's brought up in the church, something happened, someone got offended, someone was really hurt by something, for me not to just take someone's side automatically, but to try to make sure the, the facts play out and we properly distinguish what's going on. Folks, if you're looking for me to be on your side of an argument between you and another brother or sister, I'm going to ask you to go back to them and talk to them. I'm not picking sides on that. Because God wants you to start there rather than you bring it up to me first. You bring it to the church later on in the process. People jump a bunch of steps before they get there. Unfortunately, that's the first step for many. I'm just going to let everybody know what that person said to me or what they did to me. Wait a second, did you even try talking to them? Well, no, they're impossible to talk to. You don't see the problem in this. You haven't even attempted. How many times have you been fearful of a conversation you have with another brother or sister, and when you had it, you went, wow, that went a lot better than I thought it would? You know what a lot of us have is a lot of fear in our own minds, of things that we don't want to address early enough. And you know what's worse? is when we have the regret of, I should have done this before. If I had known they would respond this way, I would have said something earlier. How many of you ever heard that said? What's worse is when it's too late. What's worse is when a person's dead in the grave and you can't talk to them anymore. You can't even have that conversation. But you're willing to take your bitterness along with you for the ride. 
you feel like you're angry or you have a dislike for someone that you normally don't, chances are that you may have been around this kind of a person recently. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And let me tell you right now, that's his goal with this church. His goal is not for us to be good friends with one another and encourage and admonish and continue to try to walk in sanctification. His goal is to destroy the brethren. That's why he's called the accuser of the brethren. He wants people's lives to be ruined because of this type of activity. Many that cause discord seem to be caring people who don't really understand that they've been deceived themselves. And I've got to be honest with you, I'm going to be transparent for a moment. I've been one of those. I thought I was doing right. And I realized that I'm really actually being used in the wrong way. And I eventually fall, fell into deception in this. And don't assume that just because others have done this, you can't. There are subtle ways that this can happen in the church. The truth is, there are things to divide over. The truth of God's word, and there should be division over that. Someone's coming into this church and trying to preach something that's completely heretical and anti-Scripture and tries to promote a lifestyle that God is opposed to in Scripture, they're going to be called out for it. We're not talking about that. What we're talking about is because you and I have a personal little problem with somebody and we're making it out to be the end of the world. Personal friction between others for petty matters is outright wrong, church. They didn't say hi to me. That's ridiculous. I haven't heard from them for two weeks. They must not love me. That's one I hear common in the church. Nobody cares. Nobody loves. If you're bothered by others' lack of concern or care while you've been isolating yourself from them, you might want to look in the mirror. You might want to stop blaming everybody else for what you yourself are not willing to own. You might want to pause and reevaluate where you may have been off in the assessment of the whole while you actually play a part. I love when people blame the church for what they're a part of. It's amazing. Everybody else is like this. They're not loving. They're not caring. Uh, you're a part of that church. Well, everyone but me. Are you the exception? Well, let's start owning what we need to own. God wants us to be wise in choosing friends. So be careful with the people you allow into your hearts. Because if we're not careful, they could hurt us spiritually, emotionally, and even physically at times. There are people that will cause us to backslide in our Christian walk. That's the kind of discord they bring. They're a person that gives you a better way of doing church that's actually dangerous for you spiritually. It's in fact the reason why many people that grew up in Christian homes in the 90s, the millennials, are walking away from the faith altogether because they're being influenced by people like this that sow discord. The difference is, is the discord used to happen in the local church, now it's online. 
They find that one little speaker that really attracts them, and before you know it, they don't like what the pastor's teaching because it's not what they want. It's a lot easier to love somebody from a distance you barely know. Did you know that? You might want to not idolize everybody you see online that you look up to. They have the same flaws that people in this church do. I don't know if you knew that. They have very much the same tendencies that we do. None of them are super Christians. Every one of them is made of the same stuff. Unfortunately, a lot of people put people on a pedestal they shouldn't. It doesn't mean you don't love people like that. God tells us to love people, but he also gives us wisdom in his word, and he urges us not to develop deep friendships with them. You know why you're not a close friend with people like that? It's because God detests that. Not because you don't care for them, but because that's the most loving thing you can do. So what are characteristics of a friend, right? We know what is not a good friend. What, is a, what are the characteristics of a good friend? First one is offers protection. Proverbs 17.9 says, He who covers a transgression seeks love, but who, he who repeats a matter separates friends. Instead of wanting protection for themselves, they offer that protection unselfishly to others. You ever have one of those friends that they really could hear you out for hours and not say much and literally keep it to themselves and pray for you? They're not the type that's going to give you a ton of advice or here's what the Bible says, you need to do this and that. They're a listening ear that protects your integrity, that prays for you faithfully. You see, a true friend will protect us. They're the ones that you can keep private things private with, particularly when it comes to struggles that you have. Jonathan was a true friend to David. He, did, he warned David and helped him when Saul planned to kill him. And just so you know, Jesus tells us himself that he's our friend. And as our friend, he protects us. He cares for us. He laid down his life for us. What's another characteristic of a friend? It's a good friend. Well, they're faithful. That's one of the big indicators right off the bat. A person's a good friend. Are they faithful? Are they in and out all the time? Probably not a good friend. A true friend will care to always tell you the truth. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. A real friend will always be honest with us. The truth is, you need the truth. You don't need sugar-coated lies. We need to be told if we've offended someone, if we've sinned, if we've made or about to make bad decisions. The worst friends are the ones seeing you about to jump off a cliff and go, well, I don't want to touch them, I don't want to tell them. Imagine how loving you would be as a parent if your kid walked out in the street and you see a Mack truck coming, like, oh, you know, they made their own decision. Wouldn't be too loving, would it? You'd be horrified. Everybody that would hear that story would be horrified. And yet that's how we view friendships many times. Well, I don't want to bother them. It's too inconvenient. God calls us to be faithful. Is God not faithful to us? 
Does God not call us out many times? Sometimes He does it gently, but He still does. Sometimes it's a two-by-four, and you saw it coming. Paul said in Ephesians that we should speak the truth in love. You see, a true friend will do that, risking being liked just to help you. I don't know what it is, but we have this notion that we want people to tell us like it is, and when they do, we're offended. Why ask? Tell me. I want to know the truth. Do you really? We want to be liked more than we want the truth many times. Even the toughest among us are like, yeah, I can handle any criticism. It's like, whoa, that's enough. You've mentioned too many things. I don't want to deal with all this. You see, Jesus is the best example of a faithful friend. He always tells you the truth in the Word. He doesn't lie to us. Read through the Gospels and you'll see Jesus speaking the truth in love. Knowing that it didn't make him popular with the Pharisees. I would argue that Jesus actually spoke the truth in love to the Pharisees as well. Because that's the only way he could speak it in love with them. Speaking the truth in love doesn't mean there's only one approach at all times for all people. Don't buy into that notion. Jesus spoke differently to John and Peter if you look through the Gospels. And he loved them both. Here's another quality of a good friend. Improves your character. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. You want a good friend? It's someone who builds your character up. It's someone that cares for you long-term more than the cheap thrill of that moment. Don't make this decision. Don't do what you're about to do. This is going to hurt you a lot more than you realize. That's the kind of friend you want. The one that realizes the long-term effect of what you're going to do in your life. This is the friend that will encourage you to do your best when it comes to your relationship with God. Help you develop a proper character. Encourages you to grow spiritually. This is not just your fun buddy. This is a person that says, I want you to pursue God with me. So we both walk closer to God together. This is discipleship played out. A building of character in other people's lives. Jesus has a plan for each of us that are his children. The way that we can sharpen our own character, if you will, is to walk daily with him, to grow by reading his word, by praying, by building good friendships with others that will encourage us to do the same. Here's one that I think resonates with all of us. A good quality of a friend is that love, one that loves at all times. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A true friend will love you when everything is going great and when things are not going so well. They're willing to help no matter what the circumstances, good times, bad times. 
They'll be there when it all falls apart. Not just when the going is good. Jesus loves us no matter what, does he not? That shows the kind of friendship he has with us. In fact, he makes the promise that no friend can actually make on this earth. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a friendship right there. That's a Savior that cares enough and says, you know what? I will never, never leave you nor forsake you. The only one that ever leaves or forsakes is us, is it not? We're the ones that are like, I don't want that relationship right now. Let me go hang out with other people that are really horrible for me. A good friend will help you see the truth of God's word rather than letting you stay there and tolerate your sinful, foolish behavior. So the question is this, why is it hard for people to find a true friend? Why is it so hard for all of us? I hope the text this morning has been very challenging as we've gone through these things. I think part of that is many times a person's motives are selfish and they don't realize it. I think what I'm looking for in a friendship is different maybe than what you're looking for in a friendship. And many times my list of things that I want are not the things that I need, according to Scripture. Many of us look for only what we can get out of our friendship instead of what we can do by being a better friend to others. Let me, let me, let me give you a, an important truth that I think many of us miss when it comes to friendship. In order to have a good friendship with others, you need to be a good friend to others. You can't expect someone to be a good friend to you while you are a terrible friend and expect that relationship to go anywhere that God would want. So in closing... How are your friendships? How are your friendships? First of all, do you have a friendship with God? Do you talk with Him daily? Do you read His Word? And if not, admit it, that you don't really want the time with Him that you say you do. Get it right. Ask God to forgive you for neglecting that relationship with Him. It has to start there. If you jump to friendships with people before friendship with God, you're not going to get those right. Because you're going to make up your own definitions of what a good friend is that is not biblical. So what is your friendship or relationship with others like around you? I'm talking about your family, your friends, your coworkers, your church family, anyone around you. How have you developed in those? I don't know if you've ever heard the, the statement. It's kind of cliche sometimes. My spouse is my best friend, right? Have you ever heard that? Those of us that are married. If they're your best friend, are these qualities what we exemplify to them? Do we care to build their character up? Do we care to love at all times? Man, if there's one person that knows my failures more than anything else, it's my wife. She sees the good, the bad, and the ugly. And a good friend loves at all times. Your relationship with others is a very good indication of what your relationship with God is at this time. If you're trying to argue, I have a good relationship with God, but I have a terrible relationship with others, something's off. Should be a red flag. Let me ask you this. If God treated you as the friend 
the way you treat your friends, would you even want to be friends with him? If God treated you the way you treat others that you consider friends, would you even want that relationship? God wants us to communicate with him. God wants us to be that friend to others. Look out for areas that you may be a terrible friend. Listen, the truth is every single one of us have areas of that. If you came in this morning with the assumption that I'm a great friend to everybody, I am exactly that list, then you're not being honest. You're not being honest. You need to admit when others who really are trying to be a good friend to you are there for the right reason and trying to help you in your walk with God and you just refuse to see it. Look, it's not easy to look at others and compare to what Christ has done because the truth is we all pale in comparison to Christ, do we not? Jesus will always be more faithful than your closest friend. Will he not? Jesus will also be more faithful than you are and you want to give yourself credit for. Jesus laid his life down for us. We ought to encourage good friendships throughout the body of believers, ones that will push to holy living and help develop our character. One of the greatest benefits I've had as a pastor is throughout the years I had a few people mention certain things that they saw early on in my ministry that I needed to work on by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was, it's been one of the greatest blessings to me now years later. I didn't enjoy it in the moment. As you use the phrase, you know, wet behind the ears, you're new, you're like, I got this, I figured it out, I've read the books. Some things are not taught by books. Some things are taught by friends that care enough for you. I love what Abraham Kuyper said. He is your friend who pushes you nearer to God. May we be that friend to others. 